Go ahead, Ray. You! You worthless piece of slime! You ignorant, disgusting clown! Nothing but an unstable short chain molecule! It's the stuff. It's like pure concentrated evil. It's all flowing right to this spot. Material devolution has begun. Back at it again. MD Podcast coming with you weekly. How are you doing, Mr. Walter? I am doing great, and we are back again. We are on a hot streak. We did take off last weekend. I make a little road trip, but it actually added to a little bit of context that I can add to this conversation here because I drove through Oklahoma and uh, it was interesting. And Trump's in Oklahoma, and Juneteenth was yesterday. And there is a lot going on, Devin, and I know that you want to jump right into the abyss. It's a new thing that we're doing I, on the podcast, and we just take some of the craziest stories from the deepest depths of the internet, and we shed some light on them, and we talk about them. And I think we got some stuff that people just didn't know because one of them that you told me, uh, showed me this morning, just blew my mind. So let's get into that really quick, and then let's get this ball rolling. The Material Devolution Podcast is here, and we are in action. Let's do it. Yeah, and let me just say first and foremost that I haven't heard an Oklahoma reference since I was in middle school. Bro. Yeah, that's like, right. Like, straight up, I've not heard that. We are on fire. We are like uh, in NBA Jam when you hit when you hit three. He's like, on fire right now. I actually think it's good to take a break sometimes and have a week off just to absorb more information to learn to think more. Sometimes there's so much going on, everybody's got to rush for a hot take. I got to tell you what I think right now. Right now, the first thing I think is the right thing. You know, I keep like thinking about having the same thoughts over and over as new information is being reabsorbed and it keeps altering and mutating my perspective in different ways. So like, I'm glad I had this time off because as this topic continued to spiral and grow, it's just something that's kind of anamorphized into the only thing we can talk about because it is the only thing we should talk about. Like it's one of the most relevant things affects everybody. Let's get in the abyss tweets from the ether. Uh, first one we are going with this week is, uh, Mr. Bobby Lewis, uh, he's an author. Uh, he's the guy who live tweets Fox and Friends, but is not the president of the United States. Definitely not that serious. Uh, really funny guy from the looks of it. So this was in response to the recent video we saw of a deputy, and I believe South Carolina, having a public freak out over the fact that she had to wait uh, for an, what she seemed to be an exorbitant amount of time for her McMuffin to get to her. And yeah. she was worried about possibly. She was in Georgia, fa- Georgia, outside fast, of Savannah. There we go, there we go. Fast, she was worried about fast food workers, maybe, you know, uh, doing something to her food. And she basically had like a little public meltdown in her car, public because she chose to share the meltdown on Twitter, uh, you know. And as the comment sums up all our feelings, he goes, The McMuffin Cop video cannot be real. My mind cannot accept the premise that someone who has total breakdown victim moment over the universal experience of a fast food place forgetting and screwing up their order is also the same person who can kill me because they were scared. How can you rectify these two thoughts? Like, like the fact that a video like that goes public and the first thing that happens isn't that that person loses their job and they're banned from law enforcement for life. And we can't all be in agreement about that. It's just a facet element of the truth that we need to have competent, highly trained people who can handle having their McMuffin be late to them without having a meltdown and publicly bitching about it. Well, here's That's what's interesting. Sense. Here's what's interesting, and in what I found out, and I don't, and I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, 
order food from McDonald's. Uh, I haven't eaten McDonald's since I was probably in high school, uh, maybe a little after that. But um, apparently when you order on their app, you they don't make the food until you get there. So it's not like the food was just ready. It's not like Starbucks when you order ahead and get a cup of coffee and you walk in, and you grab your latte and you leave. So you come there, you've ordered, the order is in the queue, and then they you say, hey, I'm here for my order. And then they make your order. And apparently she was waiting in this uh, this line and they asked her just to move up. They move up, they came in, they gave her a cup of coffee. And then what is she worried about? Them spitting in the food that she wasn't get going to get the order? I mean, listen, you know, Stress, stress manifests itself in different ways, right? And but you have to, you have to question whether or not this person should have a gun right now, and have the and have the absolute authority to to make decisions um, whether people live or die. And I actually agree um, the with emotion, uh, Mr. The emotional, Lewis. the emotional competence, the emotional competence. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and the fortitude, and 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 the understanding that you know. Not, and this is the other thing. I understand that, that 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 cops feel like they're under assault right now. But you know what? It's one of those old adages that I always say. Hey, you did this to yourself. You know, my response is only is only is only a uh, is is only that. It's a response to whatever actions that were taken. And you know, if you guys didn't, if they didn't want this to happen to their institution and to and to their police officers, then maybe they should have started calling out bad police officers a long time ago. You know, um, but. People don't straight up hate police. It's not that they hate all police. It's just the fact that, that, that these police continue to act in this manner and protect their own. And, uh, and, and We don't and, hate police as individuals. We hate police as an institution. Correct. So when a person takes the job and becomes an officer, you're no longer a person. You're an officer. You aren't my friend Joe. You're Officer Joe. Officer Joe. Exactly. You're taking you're taking on a different role with different responsibilities, and based on how we've seen these roles and responsibilities institutionally built and enforced, we know they're corrupt and unenforceable. And so let's and let's also like, so, so when people say things like all cops are bastards, they aren't saying like you as a human being are a bastard. They're saying when you take on the role of a cop as it's modernly built, you are being a bastard because you are willingly and knowingly enforcing unjust laws unconstitutionally and disproportionately. Yeah, this is just statistically improvable, and uh, that's where we get stuck on because they'll say no, that's that's bullshit, it's manipulation of data. We're actually doing all these things right, you know. We're victims. We're very victimized, and uh, the problem is they are given an impossible job because of the way the laws are written. So they've signed up to do an impossible job, and hey. then they're upset when they don't have unimpeachable authority to do an impossible. But job. you hit it on the head. You hit it on the head, and everybody talks about, oh, it's a dangerous job. It's a dangerous job, and they and and and, and these people, yeah, it's a dangerous job, and they signed up to do it. You signed up to do it, and you get paid to do it. It's not in the top 10. Loggers, electricians, fishermen, roofers, all more dangerous. And guess what? None of those people have guns and get to decide who lives and dies. When was the last time you called a roofer a hero? Being a pizza delivery driver is more more dangerous. They don't get pensions. Right. They don't get guns. They don't. Guess what? They get get shot by random people they deliver pizzas to all the time. They They don't have they, they don't get to decide if that pizza guy, when they're delivering the pizza, if that guy looks scary, they can shoot the guy delivering the pizza to them and then be like, well, I got scared. He looked like he was going to shoot me and get off scot-free for it. Maybe get a pension on top of that too from the from, uh, you know, Pizza Hut. Exactly. So, let's move on. Her name was like Stacy Talbert, by the way, just to yeah, throw that out the, there. The, the, the sick thing about uh, the abyss is like there's so many uh, rabbit holes and you can go down them endlessly. So you got to make sure to pull yourself out and get to the next one. So on to the next one. Number two. Here we have a, a tweeter who goes under the name of uh, BLM Frankie Bankin and the Screaming Popes. 
like you know, there's a lot of serious people here on Twitter. A lot of trolls. Like as a Twitter, I love like, I love the fact that on Twitter you don't have to have your real name. It's so great. No, I mean it'd be, it'd be stupid to like like why would you? Why would you? Be, like I mean, if you can hide under an alias and just what, go hey, crazy, that, that, that's what that's what like boomers do. <laughs> they'll use their like real name. They'll be like a picture of them wearing sunglasses. They're always you know sunglasses. Them, them, the Trump supporters. They always got the sunglasses oh, on. Rap, hey, it's some kind of wraparound. Yep, yeah, exactly. Some kind of sport shade. You know, um, yeah, taken kind of close, maybe a little fuzzy. Anyway, go ahead. It, tur- it turned it turned into a meme almost. It says the racism defenders uh, or the racism understanders logged on, and it's like a wall of like fifty of those Twitter pictures. And they're all. The same. All the same. All the same. <laughs> White dude wrap around Oakley's with a goatee in and, his like, car. and like and like and like and like fifty emojis after their name or something. Yeah, like it's like freedom Mag- to a no, MAGA. hashtag MAGA, hashtag conservative, hashtag uh Trump twenty twenty, loves fishing, keg and the sons of anarchy. <laughs> right. Moving on here. So BLM Frankie Banking and the Screaming Popes. Uh this was in response to somebody uh, you know, as we're revisiting a lot of cop violence. People are pulling out a lot of things from the past that are just like the things that got glossed over in the media at the time. And like when you revisit them, these are the perfect examples of why we have to make changes now and we can't just keep waiting. So uh, this other person tweeted, do you remember when the cops shot an unarmed social worker laying on the ground with his hands up trying to help an autistic patient? After being shot, he was handcuffed and left bleeding on the ground for 20 minutes without police giving him medical aid. It was an interesting story in the past. We don't have to revisit all the details. Basically, an autistic patient had a freak out. Uh, they called the police to help. And the police thought he had a gun when he had a toy truck. Everybody's got to remember so, this watching this guy so, sitting in so, the middle of the street. Yeah, sitting in the middle of the street with his toy truck having a freak out. And uh, he's black, of course. And so a black social worker went to help and said, he's not armed. I'm here to help. And had his hands up. Cop decided to fire a few shots with a rifle. Hit the guy in the leg and then handcuff him and not help him. Could blood to death. Yep. Uh, that cop was sentenced to 100 hours of community service, and uh, he had to write a exact quote. The cop who shot Charles Kinsey was sentenced to writing a 2,500-word essay on why shooting people is bad. And no, I'm not making that up. It's actually what he was sentenced to after getting charged with a misdemeanor. So, you know, when, like, a cop, uh, you know... If you do something wrong, at that's work, a middle school I, punishment. That's a middle school. I mean, that's a middle school punishment for not sitting in your not sitting in your in your chair or or passing a note to somebody or 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 you know flipping off a teacher behind their back and getting caught. I I shall not flip off the teacher during math Bart class. Simpson, Bart Simpson on the chalkboard. Yeah, exactly. I will not shoot autistic patients. I will not shoot autistic patients. I will not shoot, will not shoot autistic, autistic patients. patients. Jesus. Over over. So yeah, I mean, it's like. I, or their social workers. (laughs) I don't know what like your job is, uh, out there in in the world. Maybe you're, uh, you know, you're a waiter. I think if you, uh, you know, like accidentally, uh, you know, shot somebody at work, you'd lose your job. Yeah. You know know what I mean? Like that, that'd be a sign that you're probably, what if you drop the steak knife? What if you drop the steak knife and it stabs somebody in the leg? You think they're going to have you write an essay? Hey, 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 what if you were in the kitchen working as a sous chef and when the kitchen and the head chef came around the corner, you 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 you, you freaked out and you threw the knife and you hit him in the spleen. Yeah. Oh, you, sorry, you scared me there. Yeah, you scared uh, me. Can, can, can I write an essay about why I'm sorry I stabbed you in the spleen? And keep my or job. Do you think you're gonna lose your job? Or do you think you're gonna lose your job? I think we all know how this goes. It's just like uh, when, when police punishment because of their unions and their reinforcements is listen, we never lose our jobs. If we do we're going to do it in a way where we let the guy resign and then he goes to a different department and gets another job over there. It's like, no, for things like this, you're banned from working in law enforcement for life. 
Th these are the type of black marks where like if officers actually cared about maintaining the image and the impunity of law force and being owed and basically given the monopoly on violence they are, they need to show that that's a line they're willing to hold strong in the sand against their own in the open with complete transparency. But of course they're not because that's the foundation well, of what here, they do. Here's no the other thing. So I was just scrolling down to the subtweets, right? And, and uh, NR capital XIC, um, I don't know how the hell you pronounce that, but he wrote, <laughs> contrast this to the case of the black cop in Minnesota that shot a white woman after she came up to his partner's oh, window story. in the dark. The right, right, right. She was an Australian lady, right? Yeah. Um, he saw he saw his mistake, called the paramedics, and tried saving her life until they arrived. He was immediately fired, charged, had a trial, and sent to prison. Yeah, so it's like black cop makes a completely crazy mistake but behaves like it was a complete mistake and actually takes the proper action afterwards and he's immediately fired, charged, sent to prison for 20 years. Well, uh, the white guy had to write a, a story about how he felt bad about you know shooting people that he shouldn't have. So, yeah, that, that's really like case in point of why what we're talking about. this. I'd actually like to read that essay. Check it for grammar. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> All right, on, on to the next. We're probably jumping here. Third one, Dr. Asim Qureshi. Uh, Research director of UK Cage, co-editor of the book Islamist, author of Rules of the Game and a Virtue of Disobedience. This is insane, by the way. This is insane. This is insane. Yeah. Go ahead. So he got, this reminded me of the movie Stir Crazy with Richard Pryor uh, and Gene Wilder, where they get sent to a prison and Gene Wilder is forced into a prison uh, rodeo because the wardens are gambling large sums of money against each other. You know, they're exploiting prison labor for their own amusement. I thought it was just a movie and like... You know, obviously it was going on at the time, but you know, this movie happened in the eighties. I assumed this is something that was like a remnant of the past. No w warning. This is horrific, but important to remember that over 20,000 Americans gather yearly to watch inmates charged down by bulls for entertainment. This is a modern day gladiatorial contest dressed up as sport advertised on TripAdvisor as tourism. Oh my God. And it's a video to convict poker at Angela prison rodeo. I think it's in Louisiana where they have, uh, you know, felons, prisoners, sit around a table while the rodeo clowns try to drive a bull at them. And the goal is to not get up. So you're trying to not hopefully be the last be the last man to get gored by a bull. And if you're the last man to get gored, you don't run away, you get the grand prize of $250. And there's 20,000 people who go to this yearly. And TripAdvisor, late-stage capitalism, uh, advertises this as tourism. Taking incarcerated people who, you know, we well, claim to want to rehabilitate – and yet we're, you know, having them gored by bulls in front of us for our, our own amusement. This prison is notorious for its treatment of of uh, prisoners, of inmates. Um, the Angola Three, right? We're from here. Uh, 43 years in prison in solitary confinement. The latter two were indicted in April of 1972. And they were convicted I mean, even, in 74. Even, even if you do believe in capital punishment, this isn't capital punishment. This is like the running man. This oh, is this is like, sport. This is exactly it. Yeah. This, this is this this is this is late stage capitalism. How can we, uh, you the know, run, make even? <laughs> you know, we, we already have these guys working in slave labor contracts for the government, outsourced to private industries. How can we make more money? Hey, let, let's dangle a small amount of cash in front of them and have giant animals try to kill them for our amusement. Yeah, so they can Why get not? some money for the commissary. Yeah, and here's the other thing. I mean, this isn't this isn't just this isn't an isolated incident. I mean, this is this is the only one that probably has the notoriety of like a sporting event, but. You know, 
doesn't doesn't um 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 what the heck's the name of it uh victoria's secret use uh, inmate uh yep. labor to produce their clothing and they get paid yeah. pennies on the dollar um in california they have these guys out there climbing up the side of the hills fighting wildfires and only making three dollars a day by comparison their their counterparts that are free men uh make um you know whatever it is that with the forest service uh i mean where why why is it that just because they're incarcerated doesn't mean that their value is the same as far as the work that they contribute capitalism exploits you even in prison even in prison even because even in prison everything's atomized the state's exploiting your labor for a profit at all times you need money you can buy things at the commissary food goodies things that make life not worth dying when you have nothing in prison you sit in a box all day waiting to hopefully not be raped and murdered and eat gruel maybe an hour in the yard Maybe like getting a, a pop tart, or you know, being able to like buy some smokes on the black market. That's your little respite in the day. Mm-hmm. You'd be willing to do anything for that when your life shit. So you're the most exposed, vulnerable person. I mean, I'm watching this time. video and it's insane. These guys are literally sitting around playing poker around a table in these freaking bowls. As you would think of a bull rider riding a fucking bull, these guys are treated like freaking like rodeo clowns sitting there playing poker and they're moving the table to put them closer to the bull in the arena so they can actually get some action for the 20,000 bloodthirsty fucking fans that freaking came there to watch this gladiatorial freaking exposition. Tourism, bro. Tourism. Fuck, man. I, what? <laughs> All right, on to the next one. We're puddle jumping. Last one. Let's last do it. One Let's do this. it. This came courtesy of you, and I'll let you leave with this, because this this one is, you know, it's a whole other spectrum, but it's it's part of the spectrum, so throw it at me. It's insane, too. So a Trump rally goer without a mask, and this is a quote. He's a, he's attending the rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma today. As we know that Donald Trump actually scheduled a rally yesterday uh, on Juneteenth, which is uh, the Emancipation Day for the last slaves in, uh, in Texas, which, by the way, happened two years, more than two years after uh, Lincoln actually gave the Emancipation Proclamation speech. So it took that long to get these slaves freed in Texas. But here we go. Trump rally goer, goer Sands Mass, quote, We had a friend who died from COVID, and his son was on a ventilator, and he almost died. So we know it's real. But then, at the same time, you don't know what the facts are. You feel like maybe one side plays it one way, and the other side plays it the other. That's a special kind of stupid right there. I don't really understand how you square that. Um, so the fact is, is that their friend died, but he's not really sure what the facts are. Well... Uh, your son, friend's son is lucky to be alive and your friend died. So it seems like the facts are is that this is a pretty dangerous disease to certain people when they get it. And you probably shouldn't be shoulder to shoulder 20,000 deep in a an arena listening to some madman chatter and spout off about building a wall and locking people up and how everybody's against them and the media is fucked up. And you know, hey, listen, if you have to sign a COVID, uh, you have to have, if you have to sign a COVID nineteen waiver to go to a rally where they talk about COVID nineteen being fake, you might need to have your head checked. Just saying. Well, man, I'm pretty speechless at this one. Like, uh, freedom means a lot to certain people in this country, and uh, it, it apparently means to a lot of people that you know. You should have complete disregard for common sense, scientific data, and statistical evidence that is irrefutable because you actually know people personally who have died or almost died, and you still don't care. What the else? Lack of empathy. The lack of empathy 
is so stunning because we talked about this earlier. Like there's a disconnect where it's like, what you're saying is this guy has to make a decision. He has to decide that either like he needs to be a human being and have empathy for people who are living and dying and refute everything he's gone against or go the other way. And he can't, he's like, Oh, I'm stuck in the middle because like, I care about my friend, you know, he died, but like, I don't know all these other people. Don't you think that there's like a social... Pr- exactly, exactly. And when it is removed... So, uh, so, it- so like my, my, my friend and his friend almost died, but like it could be just these two guys. I don't really know if 100,000 people died. It could be the 5G. You know, like how do we really know it's that big a deal? The right, fucking windmills real- did it. You can just get a thousand red airings or, or distractions to come into play where it's like we're just talking about COVID and COVID by itself and like whether or not it's a good idea to meet in mass groups in a, in a public setting with your face mask on. Well, doesn't it, it nothing to do with any of those other statements? Doesn't right? it speak to their ability to interpret the world around them? Obviously, these people have their ability to do that is very poor, which makes them susceptible to being freaking swindled by Donald Trump as a con man. Because if you can't, if you can't discern, if you can't decipher, what's real and what's not what's fact and what's fiction and if you and especially in this case when you've seen it in your face right in front of you and you still make the wrong decision what are, what are we going to do with these people what are we going to do with these people what would ever get through to these people if you can't if the fact of somebody dying is not a hard enough of a fact for you to make a better decision about your life what is well, Matt, I mean, if you haven't reached the conclusion I have, then, uh, you know, I don't know if that's a sign that, you know, you have more or less apathy than me. But uh, my Apathy or empathy? <laughs> apathy. My, my conclusion would be that, you know, if we cannot educate people at this stage of technology and the technology itself is actually used to uneducate people, to overwhelm them, to get them so lost in abyss of you know, unprovable facts and references and deep state and 3D models and fake voices and not give them the tools to make sense of it, to willingly create a situation where they're not going to be able to, you know, tell truth from fiction, to live in the zone, as they call it. There is no fixing it. We live in the zone. Like the election of Donald Trump to me was like that we live in the zone moment, really, where it's like you can't tell truth from fiction to people the vast majority of people anymore. There's always just like, well, that's just your opinion or you can't really prove it because everybody feels like they have the whole knowledge of the world in their hand. Like I have this phone in my hand, therefore I can, I can figure out anything on the planet in a second. And it's like, no, you can't. There's too much shit to figure out. There's too much too shit. sides to it. There's too much data. There's too much info. Yeah, you got to sift through all the bullshit to actually find the kernel of truth. And some and people you- are just fucking lazy. Yeah, the best you can do is if, like, you work uh, to create a, a set where, like, you can work towards a foundation of truth, it seems like. Mm-hmm. But even that's yeah, irrefutable at this point. Uh, well, one of the things I find interesting about this is a lot of times that you hear on Twitter and things that, that, that people of a certain ilk, they 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 say, well, quit being a sheep and you're wearing a mask because you're being a sheep and all these. But I would say, I would flip that and conversely say, this guy's being a freaking sheep because the, the, the peer pressure of fitting in to the, the label that he's placed on himself as a Trump supporter and following the herd to this freaking, to the slaughter in this 20,000, um, uh, person arena. It's greater than him being able to remove himself from that and look at his friend and say, you all, you people are crazy. I'm not doing that. I'm going to step outside of this and I'm actually going to use my own brain and what I've seen 
and take that and take that example and, and and make a better decision, but but he's unable to do that or unwilling to do that because it's it, it's more it's more powerful to it, it's it's easier to to just follow the flow of the herd and wear your MAGA hat and go over to a rally and stand side by side with the twenty thousand other people and hopefully you don't get COVID nineteen. You know, asymptomatic viruses with delayed uh, symptoms and wide varieties of effects on different. Uh, age populations that's the perfect thing right for conspiracy theory you know what i mean yes it really it really is because you might have it and not even know it you might have already had it and not even know it you might have had and gotten mild symptoms uh it's like impossible to know if you contaminate other it's it's in a way where it's built for conspiracy so you think we would have trust and faith in the medical community and the knowledge that you know hundreds of thousands of people are dying but but instead we don't even have our we don't even have our scientists on tv anymore they don't even have the covid19 freaking task force up there talking matt you pulled you pulled us back into covid i was trying to to stick us on this racism and police violence and capitalism thing and here we are on the covid damn it no it, it ties in perfectly covid because like this is like one of those opportunities where it's a lot of the reasons why we've had these protests is that so many people are out of work from, from the economic backlash from COVID. Like you don't have people in the streets if you don't have a reason for people to be in the streets. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And one of the other things real quick, I just wanted to touch on with the COVID thing, and then we can just move, move quickly off of it is I've seen a lot of people saying that um, they're going to, they can't wear a mask because they get CO2 poisoning, right? And you get CO2 poisoning and you can't wear a mask for that long because um, you become hypoxic and then you're going to die and all this shit. And, it's absolutely 100% not true. Uh, you know, surgeons and doctors wear masks for 16 hours a day. Um, there, unless it is airtight on your face, you are not going to die of that. You can get enough oxygen. Uh, CO2 molecules are small enough to get out of. They're actually smaller than even the COVID-19. Um, they can get out through the mask. Uh, it would take a, a literally a, 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 a suction formed mask on your face in order to create that type of thing environment for you to have problems. And so that's 100%, 100% bullshit. And uh, I just want to get that out there. Yeah, no. What one other? Excuse me. Rock and roll, my friend. Rock and roll. Trust me, COVID's something we'll be able to revisit for the next uh, year. Yeah, I have a feeling that uh, this is something that we're going to continue to uh, touch on throughout the uh, throughout the year. Um, let's move over to uh, to this Juneteenth situation um, last night, uh, uh, yesterday. Um, as many people uh, who weren't aware uh, before this year's Juneteenth, uh, Juneteenth does mark the day when um, the uh, last slaves in Texas uh, were notified of the emancipation. Placement proclamation. It took it took over two years uh, for the uh, news to travel that far. Um, they said that the first messenger was actually shot. Uh, and killed and was able to unable to deliver the message. Uh, and then some cavalry general ended up uh, getting uh, finally getting a, apparently a lame horse and hobbling its ass over there, taking two and a half years to uh, to let these slaves know that they were free. Um, but anyway, uh, I digress. But this is the article uh, headline. Um, At least 47 companies, two states, and the NFL are taking the day off for Juneteenth. How fucking convenient that uh, before Juneteenth wasn't even thought of. I didn't even hear about it until after I got out of high school. I was in college when I found out about it. My wife found out about it like literally a week ago when I started talking about it. 
And she's an educated person with a master's degree. So it just shows you how how important this day was uh, to everyday Americans um, prior to this year. Um, obviously, black people, it's a very important holiday, uh, especially in Texas uh, and uh, surrounding states like Oklahoma, um, where they had uh, some significant racial violence in the past. But I just want to talk a little bit about the opportunism here um, and the optics of what this looks like. Uh, you got Nike, Twitter, uh, Square, Spotify, uh, Sequoia Capital, and the freaking NFL. Roger Goodell. Uh, the hypocrisy of the NFL in this situation is just unfathomable. I can't. I can't even wrap my head around it. I can't wrap my head around it. You blackball. You blackball an athlete um, for 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 literally talking uh, about this, um, not even talking about it, just kneeling uh, to raise awareness uh, to uh, exactly what's happening right now. And then you flip-flop, you give your entire uh, company the day off, and then Roger Goodell asks uh, uh, teams to reinstate uh, Mr. Kaepernick. I mean, it's just just insane. I will say, though, I will say, though, Nike, out of all of these... Um, did side with Kaepernick a long time ago when it was not very popular to do so. So if anybody's going to get even a little bit of a pass here, it would be Nike. Um, I'm not really sure even, about the other companies. E- e- even them, you don't even know how, how generous it is and how much of it is just you don't. a market decision. Absolutely. Because that, that's the real root of it. Like, why they do this? Because it seemed like the financially long-term correct decision to make. What we need to understand is, Corporations aren't people. They want to be treated like people in court, but they aren't people. They're not but people. We, but but we expect them to behave like people, which means you know to do the right thing. To have to be morally, to be socially conscious, right? No, exactly. No, to do to do the right thing without being forced to. That's what a person does. A person takes the conscience and moral effort to just decide. You know what? This might not be popular. This might not be financially beneficial, but this is right. And so we're going to take that action because a corporation needs to decide. But that, but that decision by a, by a person is made in isolation in their own brain. It, it's something that can sit there and it can marinate for a while and it can swirl around and you can, and you can think about it and you can play with it and you can twist it and turn it and mold it and think about it before you actually decide. Um, it only takes a kernel. It only takes a sprinkling to drop in there to start the brain turning well, well, in a well, certain direction. A company doesn't make a decision like that. A company has a board of directors. It has multiple people and they have to come together as a mastermind to make a decision, right? Well, well look, here's the thing. And, so and it's reactionary make, is what I'm saying. It, They're no, not, of course, it's super reactionary. It's super reactionary. I mean, what's the, what's, reactionary the, what's for the greater good of this company? So they're, it's exactly like you said. It's, they're not people. People make the decisions for the company, but the, company's not, but the company is not, a, is not people. They make the, these I, people make the decisions on the, based on the greater good of the company and its shareholders. But I think that's the problem. Like capitalism expects us to treat corporations like people and expect ethical behavior when it's like we need to treat them just like we treat politicians right now with police violence. They won't do anything if we don't force them to. We need to treat so, them like an unruly kid. Without rules, they're going to just go crazy but, and do but, whatever they it's want. Like, it's like what happened? Like people made such a big deal about this shit that huge corporations are immediately starting to get on the right side of it. And like, to me, 
that's a good thing. I, this is actually a sign that things are changing for the better. I just don't want to give them a pat on the back for it. Exactly. Exactly. Like, you I, hit it on I, the head 100%. Is it is that, a good right? thing. It is a good thing. They should definitely be on this side. This is something. But you, Columbus but, but, Day's up. Listen, Columbus Day's hey. a freaking holiday, man. Why isn't Juneteenth a freaking holiday for everybody in the United States? Absolutely, it should be. It's a great day. It was a. It's a great day in our history. It's a great day in our history, right? Yeah. Exactly. It should. It should be. It should be a national holiday. One hundred percent. I mean, a day about talking about Labor Day. We shouldn't get a day off of work. You aren't going to give fucking black people a day off for for, for, second, for ending for the day that everybody was yeah. free. <laughs> Free. I, mean, I use uh, that. I put air quotes around free yeah, because they weren't yeah. free after that. But there was and still years of oppression and, and still aren't, man. After so, that, yeah. like you're caught in that wormhole. So for me, it's just like you know, like it's good they're doing this. I just don't want to like laud them as heroes or groundbreaker or revolutionary. Yeah, or let's not get like carried that. away. Let's not you get know? carried away, right? Like, yeah. Like, hey, if, if Nike really cared, you know what they would have done? They would have used the leverage to not stand with Kaepernick. They would have used the leverage to say, guess what? We're going to start canceling contracts with all these sports and pulling our athletes. Absolutely. Everything in our power to fuck your sport up if you do this to this guy. Yeah, unless you reinstate them. That's what a... That's what a person would have done. Yeah. A corporation goes, which side of this yeah. do we want to be on? What's yeah. And, and, and by money? the way, about getting carried away, I also want to, I, I want to bring this up because people don't know, but I'm a veteran. And so I take some of the traditions of, uh, of military, uh, very, 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 I hold them in high esteem. And I don't want to get carried away with George Floyd as either, um, I don't I'm not going to I'm not going to victim blame George Floyd. I'm not going to say that anything in his past uh ha, ha, contributed to his death because I, I I as we've said in the past that it was an abhorrent uh it was abhorrent behavior uh by Derek Chauvin. Uh it was criminal. Uh he killed that man. He didn't deserve to die. But I will say that we need, Nancy we need to look at the action. Sorry, Nancy God. Pelosi should not have given him a folded flag to the family. I just those th- those things should be reserved for the men and women who uh, who 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 answered the call, um, who stood up, uh, who signed on the dotted line to protect this nation both to, from enemies both foreign and domestic. And I just feel that way um, that a folded flag um, should be uh, reserved specifically uh, for military family members uh, at times of their death. I mean, I completely understand. I mean, first of all, Nancy Pelosi should not be a politician at all. She's one of the worst people on the planet. Uh, everything she does is performative identity politics at its worst. Yes. And like, I, I, I mean, first and foremost, I, I hate to do these things where it's like, again, reflective of the problem with the media's complicity in this. You know, it's like George Floyd gets murdered by police in cold blood in public. And there's all this flood of stories. Here's a video of him doing porn. Oh, yeah. Here, here's his arrest history. Was he a good person? Let's have that. Yes, discussion. and I don't want to bring hey, that up. That hey, that, hey. that 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 has nothing to do with what I was talking about, and that's and that's exactly yeah, what I was sure. trying to say. No, is no, I don't want to. It it doesn't. I think, I think this is a good point worth bringing up though, because it's like it shows the dual side of the media. What happens when Brock Turner rapes a college student? You know, we get all these stories about what how what a, what a great swimmer he was. And his family and his dad's going to be so sad. Those are the stories we hear. Right. You know what I mean? We don't hear about the woman's life. He's absolutely ruined with the horror of the of the kids, the, these uh, foreign exchange students who saved her. I mean, like, those aren't the stories constantly fed because the media doesn't want to push that narrative like that this is a predator. This is somebody you need to be scared of. This is what they look like. They look like anybody. Not like this idea of what we want you to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I just think that's an interesting aspect. Absolutely. Because like you said, it's got nothing to do with anything except this incident. Anybody could be George Floyd Correct. There, and, and it would be just as important no matter who you are. Hey, if you had just murdered somebody, 
That's just as abhorrent if they do that to you. Yeah. You might have deserved it. You might have deserved it, but guess what? They just murdered you in cold blood. And if we're doing that, we don't need the police. We might as well figure it eye out. Eye for an eye. Vigilante justice. Is that you know what point. I mean? That's the truth. If that guy, because we know how Dylan Roof got arrested after he shot nine black churchgoers. They got him Burger King. Yeah, just got him. Cool. Hey, you know what I mean? eat that Whopper? So it's like, it's a very sick disparity. So I, I can see, especially you having your military, uh, you know, Background but it, I, think it, I think it, I think it, I think I think it goes to exactly. I think it exactly go, talks to this point that we were just talking about about this Juneteenth and these companies, right? Did it's I basically virtue signaling, right? It's like, oh, thank you, and, and the company and, and the country and the country thanks you, and it's just a, it's just a symbol. It's just a, it's just to get the photo op. It's just to get the shot of that yeah. that we care that we care. Does she really fucking care? I don't know. And that's the thing too, because now it puts us in a very sick place where you know george floyd's death i mean this is this is gonna be a tricky conversation yet but i'm trying to have it george floyd's death has made him a martyr that's inarguable you know right. he's being like used as like this is the death that is gonna push this you know revolution ahead and i'm all for the revolution should we celebrate george floyd as a hero is a tougher question I think to have, and that's the one. Let's where, just like, celebrate might... him. Let's just celebrate him as a flawed human being, like, as we there all are, who there, got there who got go. murdered by there the police go, in the middle of the street while other freaking people were watching and trying to stop it. That's bro, it. At the, at the, I'm with you so much because I mean I think people get caught up on this, and I mean this is a very difficult conversation to have, but I'm willing to. have You don't it. need I'm to be a afraid. hero to be important. And that's the thing too. Like white people get caught up in this, and, and this is a point they need to get hit on. And I mean I think black people need to acknowledge it too. Just because you're black doesn't mean you aren't racist. Correct. Just because you're Asian doesn't mean you aren't racist. The color of your skin has nothing to do with racism. That has to do with your perceptions of the world and what's in your heart. And your experiences, but, which, which, but, which define but, your experience. But, but guess what? In America, in America, your racism as an individual has no weight outside of personal bias. It wasn't like the foundational structure that the entire infrastructure of this country was built behind. So if a black person's racist, yes, they could be racist. But guess what? The institution of like the police or the political system wasn't built on their black racism against white people. That's just a fact. It was built on the inverse of that. That's just acknowledging a historical truth. But we're not trying to have this like, you're more racist than we're racist conversation, like I said. Everybody can be racist. It's like, what's in our heart? Do we want to do better? Do we want to acknowledge the truth? That's the conversation that's tough to have and acknowledge. And we get caught up in this thing where I think we want to uh, lionize things. What, you know, do you, like, what do you say to the, somebody? The left, the, the left wants to take George Floyd and be like, give him an American flag. He's a hero. He's an icon. He's the sign of a revolution. What do you what do you and say the, to and some, the right ones to go? No, on the other side, he's a piece of shit. Yeah, right, he deserved, right, right. He, he yeah. deserved what he got. When Be, because he truth, because he didn't get it before for the actions that he that he displayed before. Yeah, you see when what the I truth mean. Of the matter is, as you said, he was a flawed human who did not deserve in any way, shape, or form what happened to him, and should be a serving point that this should never happen again. Well, doesn't that, it? That does, should just be agreeable. It just shows that it like could happen. Animal. It just it just shows that he's a normal everyday human being that could, this could happen to anybody. You know, anybody. But, but, Listen, we're talking about black lives, but over the past week, I just Matt, watched, you, you, I just you, watched you on Reddit. You, you and me know that that wouldn't happen to anyone. Right. That only happens to poor people. Right. Well, yeah, absolutely. But I just watched over the past week, and you know, I watched a bunch of Reddit uh, videos of, of police uh, um, abuse of power, and it ran the gamut. 
it was it was it was young white men it was old homeless men it was black men it was black women it was white women it just it it goes to speak to like that that it's just it, it is institutional and a systematic racism just makes it worse because the black people are disproportionately policed exactly where where are the police and what types of crimes are they looking for absolutely when we talked about this before the presence so, of police uh, doesn't doesn't limit crime doesn't so th- I think this is this is the perfect uh, segue I think into my, uh, my my little statistics essay thing I wrote here because uh, I think we're moving into like a good discussion of statistics. I spent some time this morning trying to uh, summarize my thoughts and I realized that you know having a discussion is great, Matt. Like fucking, this is how we're like learning and figuring stuff out, and I'm so I'm so, learning a lot. I'll be honest and with I'm you. So, it's I'm and, and I like, thought about and, I, and it makes me think about this issue. By talking about it with you, and also like and, and and letting it and letting it like swirl around in my brain for the week that of leading up to this, and the in the week after, it really does like I, it makes me really think well around this issue and really think deeply about the way that I've I've myself um, and my privilege and 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 the way that and it's helped me to speak to other people who may not be as open. Um, to these ideas as, as, as people closer to me. And, and, and it's made me, it's made me more effective, um, to find ways to, um, to get them to understand a little, to crack, to get the foot in the door, right. To get a little piece of light through so that they start to go, Oh, you know, I never thought about it that way before. Anyway, continue. Yeah. Yeah. I was just saying, I'm like stoked that this podcast's experiments led me to the stage where I've been like, I'm writing again. It's something I haven't done in forever. And I just, my thoughts were so, so many and so convoluted that the only way to make sense of that is to write. And I mean, I, I was a writer growing up, something I loved doing. Then I started hating it at times because they make you write about things you don't want to write about. So, you know, they force you to hate what you love. So I haven't done it for a while about things that weren't like very personalized, like hobbyist things like MMA or something. But I had so many thoughts. I wrote them down. And it didn't make sense. So you got to go through it. You got to edit it. You got to make an outline. You got to make a structure for it. Because if not, you're just some rambling maniac on a street corner. Ah, let me tell you about my 5G conspiracy theory. You're not making <laughs> any goddamn sense. So I've got a bit of a, a you know a monologue here. This is this is like a couple pages. This is gonna take a minute, Matt. Probably take me like a good good five minutes plus here. Uh, I, I think you're gonna enjoy this. I do think I, I hit on a couple interesting topics. I'm gonna subvert this uh, into the topic of. Uh, Statistics and their misuse. It's a brief essay. You ready for this? Yeah, man. Let's do it. So, for the first time in a long time, I was listening to Sam Harris, who's someone I used to greatly admire, and now I reflect back on as very misguided in some of his ideas and applications, especially now that he's been pushed into a more alt-right dimension because of his willingness to associate with charlatans, grifters, and those that I believe to be far more disingenuous than he is. Presumably, this is under the guise, though, that he believes they're operating in good faith, which he really should not be the arbitrator in making those distinctions. The person should have to prove with action they're operating in good faith, just not tell you they are. So in this recent podcast on police violence, he spent a lot of time uh, talking about statistics, not lying. And Sam Harris is a very uh, articulate individual. He's very well respected by a lot of people, even though that might have been run more recently after you know all the ben affleck stuff he still kind of retained this aura of respectability among scientifics and academics and things like that uh, but you know after he had charles murray on i was really shook and then uh it came to this i mean i haven't really listened to him for a while but in a recent podcast on police violence he talks about statistics not lying 
you know, that they show violence against black peoples overinflated by the media. This isn't a reflection of systematic racist system, i.e. the facts don't lie. And he was, you know, able to be very astute and, you know, frame this in a lot of different ways and pull up other points. But this is very scary to me because I, we frequently hear this from conservatives, right wingers and racists alike, whether they're closet open or unwitting that but the data. And it's followed by a reference to either black on black murder statistics compared to other races, statistically higher, actual numbers of police murders of unarmed black people, relatively low, a few hundred a year, or other such, in my opinion, troll worthy statistics. Facts don't care about your feelings. The mantra of the ultimate dweeb, Ben Shapiro. These facts are drops as if they're completely neutral, unbiased arbitrator of reality. Those presenting the data never seem to question the motive and foundational viewpoints of those presenting the data. These people are just journalists, or people presenting facts in good faith. A claim frequently made, and yet we've learned is easily disproven. So who's controlling, manipulating, providing the data? The numbers are being systematically manipulated in many ways where the data is corrupt, flawed, and cannot be trusted. And this is by design. For example, how many number of people arrested for assaulting an officer or resisting arrest actually did either? It's a frequent police tactic used at their disposal at any moment. They just arrest you violently, which causes you to physically resist, and then they just shout, stop resisting. They've justified anything they do after that point. They can charge you with resisting arrest and hit you and claim they needed to because you were resisting. And there's nothing you can do about it. This happens all the time, but guess what? This isn't a statistic that we're ever going to find out anything about. Without questioning the framing context of the data, you're easily led down a narrow plank, which is the implication that police violence and racism are blown out of proportion by the media and liberals. And this is statistically proven. If the uncontextualized cherry-picking data presented seems to demonstrate that this must be true, facts don't care about your feelings, here's a stat on the number of black men killed by police, pwned, racism is over, and the police state doesn't exist, libtard. The inference from this type of framing is that one must conclude that there is something inherently wrong with black people, people of color, and this is a cultural problem that has nothing to do with white people or capitalism. These same people will acknowledge racism exists, but only on individualized levels, which means somebody can be racist, but not an institution or a practice, even if that institution or practice was developed by a group of racists. Statistics without contextual analysis Pardon me. Statistics without contextual analysis is meaningless drivel that is used to spoon feed a predetermined net narrative. So if you want to look at the, either of these claims, then let's do so. Why are black on black murder rates disproportionate? Well, the vast majority of drug violence committed to control or assert dominance over rivals. But even disregarding those, the vast majority are committed by the poor, people with little education, social services, community or government support that were historically and calculatedly stripped of their ability to learn and earn for centuries. Slavery, Jim Crow, the burning of Black Wall Street, the bombing of Tulsa, Oklahoma. They were the foundation for the building of capitalism as a truly unpaid labor force. The ROI on any business that used them was potentially infinite. Typically, the biggest overhead cost of any business is labor. It seems evident that it would force people to remain uneducated and live in squalor under threat of violence and actual violence for centuries. There is going to be a cultural blowback. Slavery and everything it brought was an attack on black culture itself and stripped it of its foundations and history. People use violence as a means to communicate when they've been stripped of community, stripped of their ability to communicate intelligently, stripped of their human dignity, stripped of a foundation to not respond with violence. When you are poor, all you have is your social perception. You have no material goods to provide you solace. If you are social perception is threatened, i.e. someone tries to steal from you, punk you, make fun of you, you are forced by the environment you're in to violently retaliate to maintain your social perception. 
It's the only thing of value you truly possess. What your friends, family, community think of you is the one thing you feel you actually have control over and actually own. You can't ever let yourself be mentally, physically dominated in public. You have no recourse besides violence anyways. You can't move towns. You can't call the police. You can't tell your parents. All you can do is stand up for yourself with violence in a poor community. Second one, what about the low number of unarmed black men killed by police every year? There's a gross misunderstanding of what constitutes police violence. If we cherry pick one statistic, how many unarmed black men are killed by police every year, then we can extrapolate from that one stat, it isn't systemic. Wouldn't there be a lot more? Sure, it's two times higher, but gangs and all these other factors, seems like it's right in line with variable stats. There's a failure to understand what constitutes violence. How the police use force and the threat of force is violence. It isn't limited to only incidents where unarmed people are killed. And even that's a gross manipulation. Cops, prosecutors control the story on what's written and what's acceptable. So typically, we only ever get their perspective on things when we do get those stories about people getting killed and whether it was necessary. We never get the truth. Millions of times a year, people are stopped and there is no ticket or arrest. There isn't a database of false arrests, stops, imprisonments, etc. If you ask any black person if they've been harassed by cops, they all have stories to tell, typically dozens. Every one of these interactions constitute acts of violence by the police against the citizen. It's a form of class warfare. They're using racial guidelines to try and create class distinctions. Nobody ever wants to interact with somebody with a gun and the legal authority to kill you if they get scared, unless you're so scared from somebody else that you need that person to protect you. So unless you feel your life is in danger, potentially in danger, you don't ever want to deal with a police officer ever. Who are the people most likely to feel like their life is in danger and be in danger and need them? The poor. And yet when the police are there, they're arresting the poor, not protecting them. Cash bail, forcing someone to remain in a cage because they aren't good enough at capitalism. Prosecutors forcing plea deals to keep the court system moving, greasing the wheels of justice for a high conviction rate so they can move up the bureaucratic ladder or jump to a private firm. Stop and frisk, since discontinued, but conceptually stopping poor people of color, illegally searching them, leading to millions getting into the justice system over possession of small amounts of narcotics. These are all acts of police state violence that occur millions of times a year and are disproportionately and historically used on communities of color and the poor. Another stat that's misused is about the total incidence of police violence reported yearly. The only stat they ever want to show is uh, talking about total number of armed or unarmed people killed. The stats we should be looking for is the number of times that citizens have complained about police violence against them, using unnecessary escalated violence, well arrested, falsely claiming they were resisting arrest, creating false reasons for arrest. This statistic is impossible to figure out, though. Because for every official complaint lodged against the police, there are hundreds that are not lodged for fear of retaliation and knowing the likelihood of anything happening is almost non-existent. When we discussed Minneapolis police complaints, we referenced 2,600 incidents reported over a decade, where only like 12 got dealt with, you know, with a 40-hour citation, you know, got Dr. Mm -hmm. Weeks pay. The true number of that 2,600 could likely be a multiple of 10x or 100x, could be 26,000, could be 250,000. If something reporting every time they got pulled over for being black was taken into account as an act of violence, that number is infinite. So unjustly stopping and accusing somebody of looking like a suspect and illegally searching them, to me, that's violence. That person is afraid for their life in that moment. You could kill them based on them moving quickly or having their hand in their pocket and justify that they looked like the guy you were looking for and you're going to get away with it scot-free. What does that psychologically do to somebody? So police violence has been completely misconstrued to only include official incidents of police murder. Murder is the biggest crime, but it's the least often committed. Most of the crimes are assault, 
false arrest, false imprisonment, conspiracy, falsifying police reports, intimidation, illegal search and seizure. That's the roots of police violence. Murder isn't the foundation of the system. It's just a necessary feature. The fact is, if we don't dramatically reduce the incidence of police interactions that are negative on a daily basis, we'll always see the same problems. The solution is completely uh, a clear overhaul of the criminal justice system. No more private re- uh, no more private prisons, drug law reform, probation reform, and the commercialization, commercialization capitalization of the prison industry. You know, no more using uh, prisoners for private corporations or paying or wages, for sport. Uh, slave wages for work or, or for sport. So that's the big thing. So this ties into this, my final point, which is this, that capitalism is the cause. Racism is a symptom. So we shouldn't elevate racism to the main narrative. That's a fallacy. The true narrative problem has been and always will be capitalism. Racism is one larger facet of that greater issue. Liberals are too encapsulated in the idea of identity politics, though. That's why they don't have class analysis. They just see us as individuals with no association to each other outside of arbitrary things such as, you know, religion, race, sports affiliation. Without the class analysis, it's incomplete theory. The only theory is workers versus owner, labor versus capital. It's the onus of everything we're talking about, as police are here to regulate and enforce capital, not protect and serve the population. They serve the wealthy because the wealthy wrote the laws that insulate them from the poor and their struggle. So if capitalism has been and always will be the problem, this is because it's a transitional phase from feudalism. It's supposed to get us to the next stage of socialism. What we are at is we're at the failed transition point where it's becoming a more refined version of the previous uh, iteration, new feudalism. Just as with prior society structure, those in power become encapsulated and believe that they are successful, powerful because of either divine right or some type of moral aptitude that they are unique in possessing or able to determine who possesses the same distinction. This is why the powerful never give up their power to anyone except successors, people they choose, or people that came from the same power structure. It's forced on them as a perpetuation of the cycle. The next guy gets the job. The goal is just to never have this debate, though. Debate racism, debate police violence, debate minimum wage, debate the drug war, debate illegal immigrants, debate regulating Wall Street or pharmacology, debate environmentalism, debate the history of this country. You can have those conversations. The mainstream media will allow it. But really never in the greater context of how it's all just one facet of capitalism. Until we actually address the disease and stop trying to treat the symptoms like racism and police violence, we'll never find a cure. Because remember, in capitalism, racism and police violence isn't a bug. It's a feature. A failure to acknowledge this as a foundational building block means the conversation can never be had because we can't work from the logical standing point that is irrefutable. The wealthy and powerful wrote and still do write the laws that are designed to keep the system and themselves in perpetual control of the system. Without racism, the powerful can't manipulate white people into believing their position in the world as a result of the others' impact on them. The ability to use police to enforce private property laws is the foundation of capitalism. Monopoly on violence that can be legally wielded by the rich against the poor. When legality and morality can't be reconciled, there will be a disconnect from the populace. That's why we live in the zone where nothing seems real, because we're told not to believe our lying eyes and ears by the very people who benefit from us believing that. Absolutely. And you know what's crazy about this? When you when you started talking and you started, and you, and you started in on this, I was thinking 
of a um of of a of of Candace Owens. She gave a she was a Fox News uh commentator. Um no, and I, she, I know she was turning point turning point USA. Yeah, and she gave a, the same thing about um the black on black statistics and 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 you know the black on black crime and and the proportionality of of black people being killed um by by they, police yeah, to white people. That perspective. They choose they choose it. But then yeah, and then they just take the violent crime statistics. Well, they they commit more violent crime, so therefore like you know they're going to be they're going to be killed more by police because of the violent crime and the facts they don't necessarily lie but they don't tell the whole story and that's exactly what you were saying if you don't if you don't take it all into context to to, to start to to drill down to what is what is the cause not the symptom of the oppression you see what I'm saying of the of the poverty, um, and you can you can you can cherry pick these statistics and you can paint this picture whatever you want. But it's like you said, and 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 going back to exactly you know what you were saying about the Minneapolis police and the 2,600 incidents, and then I brought up um, you know from from uh, what James Comey had said that there's literally no data across the board there's no there's no repository that has all of this data that you can aggregate and look at police violence and then i think i touched on in our last segment that there was at least six stories recent stories uh, that were either that the violence was either underreported or not reported at all during the traffics during the stop during the encounter so for example the 14 year old boy they got tackled and punched in the head by the by the police officer. the The punches weren't even in weren't even in the police report. They're not even reported in the report. Just, just like so, the Buffalo protester who got his head skull cracked open. Exactly. He fell. So so he fell. so what even about on, those? Even though it's on video, even though it's on video, he and, fell. And it's all about those little microaggressions that you were talking about. These little these little these little um these, these little incidents of violence that happen repeatedly over and over and over and over and over again. And 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 that in turn leads to the environment in which the distrust is so great. The chasm is so great. The violent that you have no, you have no option. You have no choice but to respond in an aggressive posture, like you said. Because one, the environment that you live in, if you show weakness, you're going to get trampled on or killed by your neighbors um, or the other gang or any of the other, uh, the other, any of the other people out in the street. But then you also have to show a sense of. Of uh, you have to stand up and have a, and show a sense of 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 of, of, of um, aggression and posture so that you can protect yourself against this outside force at the same time because they're going to run over you and beat you down and manipulate the conversation and escalate it to a point where you are now the one that's going to get hauled away or um, or protect yourself from um, the stop and frisk scenario where you're made to empty your pockets uh, for no reason well, whatsoever that, except for your walking down the street. Because like, as an institution, and I mean, you've been in the military, you've, you've got a good understanding of how things are institutionalized and how things you might have gone through and you realize in hindsight aren't right, but that practice becomes like a cultural application. So something like stop and frisk, you're stopping black people, you know, we're clearly to like us outside the specter of law enforcement, we're like, yeah, that's like creating a culture of fear and putting people at risk unnecessarily. 
you know, because of a prejudice you may hold or because of preconception you make. They go, no, we're just doing our job. We're doing what we've been trained to do. We're doing what we've been told to do. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, let's talk and, about. And, and are they wrong? Are they wrong? They are doing what they've been told to do. Absolutely. They are doing what they've been trained to do. They are doing what they've been told to do. But following orders is no longer a defense. That's the Nuremberg defense. You can't just say this shit anymore. I was just doing my job. Fuck your job. Get another job, asshole. Right. Fuck your job. Right. Fuck you and your stupid job in your face. Well, you okay? know what's interesting about jo- this? It, it, it's a job. If, guess what? If you're asking me to beat this old guy with a truncheon or quit, fuck you. I'm going to hit you with a truncheon. Right. Well, the other thing is, is like it, it's so funny because you were one of the things I was thinking about while you were while you were while you're going through this essay, which is a brilliant take, by the way. I love it. Um, is that uh, is Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina, who said we are not a racist country. But there is racism within the country. But like what you said, if the fucking laws, if the laws are built and designed by a system that is inherently racist, is it everything that that it governs then a racist? What makes racists other racists? Well, what made them racist? Other racists. Uh, you're just telling me they just keep shitting out other racists and they don't keep improving? No, there has to be a structural reason. So how could it not be systemic? How could it not exactly. be? It has to be by design. It, it has needs to, be. to be by design. Right. They need they, they need us to see this as like the true distinction because then when you can fix that, like I said, you know, what we need is we need uh, our police force to look like America. So if America's 14% black, the police should be 14% black, and 27% Latino, and 3% transgender, and they should all work together. But then, then once to, they say, once to, we get that, tear, then we've to reached... Tear, to tear gas you in the face. Yeah, exactly. That way, so that's, that, so that we've got true equality in using police violence. So once we reach that, then there's no it's no longer racist to freaking... to, to use that... to exert that violence on people? Well, the neoliberal approach is this can be fixed with better training and more equality like joe biden wants to give them like 300 million dollars for training if you look through the history of policing every five to ten years there's some massive issue with police violence against the public there's some type of riot or upclaim and they always do more training more training the same problems continue uh the systemic problems the the gross violence maybe gets slightly reduced you know certain incidents get slightly reduced we're not working for marginal improvements. Band-aids the on system, band-aids, bro. The system by design. I, I wrote this, and this didn't uh, fit into my spiel, but this is a great uh, little thing I wrote. This was actually my favorite thing I wrote, but it didn't fit in the, the whole essay. I appreciate you you're listening to me ramble on for so long there. So the favorite thing I wrote, though, was just this, and it's peace is placation. They say don't be violent, be peaceful. That's what the powerful will always say because it puts the honest on the slow mechanism of incrementalism, change through voting, slowest form of progress known to man. The second things get violent, riots, things start changing immediately because the power structure realizes that it has to acquiesce something yeah, larger. It's an oh shit or moment. Ri- or risks revolution or systemic breakdown. The system's not ever meant to be halted. When the gears halt, it risks collapsing on itself. What their goal to do is, is to throw crumbs to the starving and tell them the crumbs will lead to the loaf soon, even though they never do. When the people eventually realize this, they don't give them the loaf. They start giving them like stale crust, which they could have always done, but they didn't because they weren't forced to. Power only acquiesces when it's forced to. Those in power can't fix the system either, because guess what? They're only in positions of power because of the system. The system already has solutions in place for those who attempt to disrupt it from within. The second you truly try to change things from within the system, legally or illegally, it's going to replace you through various methods. Once you choose to operate within it, you've already assumed the role that the best way to 
change it is from within. And that just perpetuates the cycle we've been in infinitely. We all know how that works out. The system changes you, never the other way around. Yeah. Be peaceful, be peaceful so we can just ride this out. We'll just wait until you're done and you're tired because we're not gonna listen to you. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna listen to you, but we're not gonna hear you. It we're demands gonna- ignorance of history, right? Because like it demands that facet of like you need to be peaceful, even though history shows us that peaceful protests have never worked. It's not until the peaceful protests turn violent does anything ever change. That's literally the history of American politics. Of politics in general. Look at politics in general. Yeah, yeah, of any country. That's of nature. Why would the powerful ever acquiesce more than why would you do that unless you demand it? And guess what? Then they give you the stale. If you don't threaten, look at this. They they gave me the crust. Hey, guess what? They're gonna have more body cameras. If you don't threaten that, guys. If you don't threaten that power, if you don't threaten that power in their position in the world, then how? Why would they ever change? They have no reason to. There's no reason to change. And you know what? Like, I mean, body. My life is already good. I'm sorry that yours sucks. Technology is not the answer. Body cameras aren't the answer. I mean, somebody even pointed a great point. Like, listen, they already have them, and they, you know, turn them off or they malfunction or or whatever because they they obviously are are committing conspiracy and criminal fraud on a level unbehurts. But on top of that, let's say you know everyone had to wear them and they were remotely on and you couldn't turn them off. Well, now you've got full surveillance state of, you know, millions of armed people walking around with live streaming cameras of everybody going into a database at all times. And on top of that, you never see what the officer's doing. That's why dash cams on the car actually are much better because you actually have a frame of context. You understand what's happening. You can't see what the officer's doing with his hands, his body language, like... uh, Things are framed. Every one of them should have a fucking drone that follows them around. You know those drones that you can go skiing with? I thought, about like that, I, thought, I, thought like, I thought like Minority Report, like the future, like they pull you over, they hit a button, and like literally like a drone pops out, flies overhead, and it starts like, videotaping reporting. the whole thing. Videotaping, like scanning shit. But I mean, dude, that's Minority Report. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, like that scares me. But like, it does scare I mean, me, but you know. It's like, it's like we can, we can train this out of them, though. We can put more money into it. Like, we you have to change the you have work. to change the approach. You can't just train it if if every if the approach is still if the if the if the goal is still the same. You see what I'm you saying? Can't, you can't criminalize being poor, which is basically what we've done with laws in this country in the last 50 years. You can't train somebody to play a different game but still play the same game. Does that under, does that make sense? Like if you're if you if you're playing baseball, you can't play basketball inside a baseball field. You see what I'm saying? So you can't train them out of playing baseball if you're still always going to play baseball. Like you, you're not, you're not like you might, you might improve your jump shot, but you're not using it on the field to play. You see what I'm saying? Like you can't do that. Like you got to fundamentally change the, the 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 structure and the goal of what you're trying to accomplish, right? It's like what happened in uh, it's like what happened in Camden. They disbanded their entire police department. If you've got a bad foundation to a building, you re- you build a new building. You don't keep trying to fix the building. You knock it down and rebuild it. A and new, rebuild or you build it. it, or you build a new one next to it, and you move you move the people who who should be in the new building to the new building, or you hire new people for the new building. But you don't keep trying to improve the old building with a bad foundation that could collapse at any moment and isn't a good building. Right. Like it's like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Go. Right. Like you could still try to prop it up, but it's built on a bad foundation. It's going to continue to fall over. Yeah, I mean, like, it's just, we keep going to that point, though, because that's where the disconnect comes, where, you know, we want to individualize our relationships, 
you know, because we know people who are police. They're our friends. They're our, our, our cousins. They're our, our grandparents. And we know them as people. They aren't bad people. Of course not. That, now, doesn't mean just because, that doesn't mean just because you're a cop, like you're committing gross acts, you're not helping people, you're not doing good things. Not at all. That's not what it means. But at its core, when I was talking to somebody about it, what I said is, is that that false complicity, the thing where like in Buffalo, where 50 officers can see an old man get pushed on his head and get his skull cracked open and nobody will help him and they'll let them file the report saying the guy fell. That's the officer's MO where you're put in a position where you know you can't say anything. Right. You're, you're forced to be complicit. So it kind of makes you be a bad actor. And, and, and the younger even, and 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 and, even, and the younger that you are on that on that force, the more pressure you feel to conform and be complicit and keep your job and let people like you. Yeah. There's let there you know because you just got this job, it was something that maybe you strove for 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 a long time, um, and now you're now you're forced into a situation where you have to be complicit, you have to turn a blind eye, and I think that this really does kind of kind of kind of kind of weave its way into one of the one of the other uh, articles that that I. Had found here and it, this touches on something too that we brought up in the very first conversation when I was talking about hey you know Joe over here might be the nicest most soft spoken man in the uh, in, at the picnic uh, at the family picnic uh, but as soon as he puts on his hockey gear man Joe you're an animal you're out there and you're checking people and you're doing all these things and 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 you're playing this role, right? You're playing a role in the, in the, in the suit that you put on this armor, this protection has given you the, 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 the power to play this role to the maximum. And that comes down to the militarization of police. And police departments, and it's, this is a quote from Philip McHarris at Yale University, police departments have come to resemble military units contributing to deadly violence disproportionately against black Americans. And so there is a there is a there is a, 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 a an amendment. Um, a senator plans to uh, to to put an amendment to end the transfer of military equipment to local police. Militarizing the police forces does not make our communities safer. Um, so what they're trying to do is uh, uh, President Trump in 2017 rolled back an Obama era limits on uh, the one. 033 program which authorizes the defense department to send military equipment to weapons local police departments uh congress created the program in the 1990s during the height of the drug war crime bill etc um joe biden um on uh war on federal uh war on drugs for federal and state law enforcement agencies and it expanded seven years later to include all law enforcement departments there's more than 5.4 billion dollars of military equipment have flowed to police Every every department needs an APC, and you know, and 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 chemical weapons, and chemical weapons, and you know, you, and, and just looking like you know they're an occupying force in Iraq. No, they're, they're solid snake six and metal Gear solid, right? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, so I think that that just kind of comes full circle. Um, is what is the mission of the police? This is what I'm talking about about the game. What's the goal? What's the goal? The goal is to the goal is to the goal is to have a is to have a military presence. It's to exert maximum force and pressure into these communities. Fear, strike fear into the community by rolling virtual tanks down the street with with stormtroopers. It's 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 governance by fear. That's what it is. I mean, it could be summed up in one image. I remember seeing an image earlier this week where it was uh, in Manhattan, Times Square. It was like a couple of cops all like 
cordoned around the giant bowl, you know, the, the, the trading bowl on Wall Street. A bunch of protesters around, and there's the police making sure nobody nobody does graffiti on the bowl. Nobody touches the know? bowl. Doesn't you that just know, tell Wall, you exactly you, what's you, important? You know, Wall, Wall, Wall Street has crashed the economy multiple times, causing more devastation economically than like world wars have caused, suicides, house loss of houses, businesses. I mean, and they all got away with it. Nothing. We got to make sure we don't spray paint their bowl. That's what the police care about at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Remember that. So until we change that functionality where the police aren't there to do the bidding of the corporations, they're there to do the job that they should be doing, which is responding to crimes in progress and investigating and investigating and working with legislators to be determining what crimes actually deserve the attention and what type of laws they need to be enforcing. I mean, if we don't start like foundationally, like overhauling, uh, you know, our drug laws, even exactly, even the laws on the books, what are the ramifications of these, uh, of, uh, of breaking these laws? Yeah. I mean, and we need to in the modern day, in the modern day context, like let's not, you know, let's talk about contemporary, like in the contemporary societal like norms, where 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 are the laws? What crimes? What crimes are 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 what crimes are most egregious? Which ones affect that community negatively the most? Well, well as we all know, like taking drugs. Is- and what are the byproducts of that? Right? See, because I look at it like the the byproducts of the byproduct of, of prohibition of all drugs is black market crime. And all the crime and is yeah. the black market and all the crime that comes associated with that. Yeah, we talked about that with the uh, the Boots Riley thing, right? You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's an encapsulation of it. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, uh, I think that's a good point to end it on, man. You know, we could we could, we could get trapped in this wormhole forever. We could. Just, uh, yeah. We could. And I mean, and honestly, like I could have this conversation for another hour. I mean, like, you know, it it just goes on and on and on. But I I hope that we gave people like a kernel uh, again, again. I think if we can just drop a little kernel in there that makes somebody start to think about something a different way, then we've, we've, we've accomplished our goal, uh, for the week. Um, and you know, and that's what this podcast is about. It's about, it's about, it's about devolution of material. I mean, it's about breaking it down. It's about, it's about, it's about tearing it apart. It's about looking at it from, uh, from some uncomfortable angles. Right. I mean, that's really what it is. It's like, Hey man, like we're going to have this conversation and it might not be mainstream. It might not be mainstream and a mainstream idea, but the truth is, is that you got it. You got it. You got to start. You got to start to having them conversations, man. You can't be in an echo chamber, you know. And and like we talked about this week, you know, hopefully we can get somebody on with some opposing views here, and we can have a little bit of a conversation, some dialogue, and we can have a little bit of back and forth, and uh, you know, stand up for uh, some of the positions that uh, that that w- that we uh, that we've taken and 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 that we feel strongly about. Yeah, I think like we need to just you know not just have more empathy, but have more compassion because it's like we've atomized our suffering so that we're obtuse to those we don't know. Like we, we only care about those in our direct circle, like the guy whose friend died, but he's not sure, you know, uh, that type of mindset of like not wanting to make the world a better or more fair place because you had to suffer through it. And like that type of mechanism is like, I had to deal with these problems, but I feel good about myself Therefore, everybody should have to deal with problems because they build character. And I know this because I've determined that on my own by looking at my own character. Mm -hmm. So it's this real like a logical need to like pass on suffering to future generations because they've established this link between like 
the need to survive and the development of moral character where it's like your foundation of success wasn't being exploited by the system. Like there's tons of reasons. It could have been hard work. It could have been luck. It could have been nepotism, but we need to start like saying like, how can we suffer together? Not as individuals. Like instead of atomizing your suffering, we need to suffer as community. And that's what the BLM movement's about. Like it's why they, you know, it's not just about black people marching. It's like, listen, we're all suffering together in this. Like when I see anybody suffer, I suffer. When I see a homeless person on any corner, that causes me suffering. Like, like it really Well, the does. fallacy like, is believing that you're separate from that suffering. Yeah, you aren't. It's, we're, we're all suffering together. And like by seeing ourselves as separate, we aren't ever able to fix it. When we take ownership of it and realize like it's all our suffering, that's when we actually end up doing something about it, right? 100%. 100%. Absolutely. So hopefully we can work towards that more, bro. And uh, thank you for, for pushing this forward and keeping the conversation going. Uh, we'll be back at it next week. The flamethrower is locked and hot, ready for the trigger. For reals. And uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Leave some comments below. And peace and love to everybody. As always, next time. Next Take time. Care.